0: Hello everyone. Hey, before we get started, we're just going to release our children out to the kids, to Crystal and our kids ministry. So yay kids, we love you. Have a good night. And I just want to say hey to our Facebook community that's watching online as well. We're ever aware that you guys are there and watching and we love you. You're part of our church family. So hey, how's everybody doing? We're doing good? Yeah. Thanks for coming out. (laughs) Um, As always, it's such an incredible honor to serve you tonight, and can you believe we've already come to the end of this series? And I love that we have kicked off the year with this series. Last year, when Darren, Bernie, and Rob and I were um, planning for Sunday Nights 2020, we decided to start the year off with this series. Our prayer was that these four I Am statements would become part of who we are and part of our church culture. So on that note, let me just pray for us. Lord, I love that your presence is here. (laughs) And God, the desire of my heart, as always, God, is to reflect yours. And God, would you just um, speak through me and that would would, the message that you've given, God, resound with us and that we would, God, reflect you. Have your way, have your way, have your way in this place. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. So um, like Rob said in week one, these four I am statements that we're looking that we've looked at over these last four weeks are not only foundational, but they are transformational. Foundational to us as a church community and if we embrace it, transformational. Transformational for us as Jesus followers. Um, and so the first week we looked at this one. I'm invited. Everyone say, I'm invited. invited. We're all invited into God's family. Not only do we have a God who pursues us, who chases us down, he also invites us into his family. In week two, we looked at the powerful truth that you are invaluable. Everyone say, I'm invaluable. invaluable. Come on, we're going to get into this. (laughs) And you are. The way God made you, wired you, gifted you, yet you are a child of God and you are invaluable to the body of Christ. What you bring to the church is invaluable. There's no one like you. You are invaluable to the body of Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this statement uh, that in this. I'm influential. And I love what Bernie said, that we as a church... Um, need to flip the script on the term influencer from social media and reclaim it for God's kingdom. And like a perfect piece of Vogel's toast spread with Vegemite, yes, I'm team Vegemite, that you and I are called to be salt and light in our spheres of influence. So everyone say, "I'm I'm influential. And tonight, we're looking at the final I'm in statement in this one. I'm invested. We're going to see that by the power of God, that you and I can be invested in the work of God through his church by reflecting his generous character to make a difference, not only in our generation, but for eternity. Everyone say, I'm invested. You know, as I look out at our church family, and I know many of you, and I feel like I'm preaching to the converted. (laughs) Um, I know that there are many here who are so invested in this place, in this church, and also um, in our communities and beyond. So I hope tonight's message encourages you and challenges you, because it really challenged me. But maybe tonight's message is also geared towards those who are on the fence or who are unsure about being invested in God's work through his church. My prayer is that by the end of tonight, you would cross the line and jump in all in. The truth of the matter is that all of us are invested in something. It may be that you're invested in following your favorite sport, like rugby. Like you never miss an all-black game. You wear the shirt, you wear the beanie, you wear the scarf, and if it's an away game, you get up at 2 a.m. to scream and cheer at the TV. Yeah. And hey, I get it. I love sport, And I've um, said this many, many times. But when I finally got Sky TV, and it was a long time in coming, and I found out that it had ESPN, the home of American sports, I felt like I hit the mother load. I was like, yes. And whether it's gridiron, baseball, tennis, or baseball, um, NFL, you name it, I'm invested. And as you can see, I'm a little too invested, so I need help. And if sports is not um, your thing, how about binging on a Netflix series? Especially if it's more than one season. Come on now, that's a serious investment of your time. You promise yourself that you're only gonna watch one more episode and next minute it's five hours later or five days later. Yeah, (laughs) I know how we are. How about the investment many of us have in our stuff? Like our phones. I remember seeing on the news how long the lines were at the Apple stores in New York when they released the latest iPhone 11, is it? There were people who hired people to wait in line for them. Apparently, it's like a thing. Some people waited in line for over a week, some for two weeks. They literally pitched a tent and slept on the streets of New York for an iPhone. Amazing. Whatever it is, whether it's clothes, a car, a house, etc., we're all invested in something. The problem is, is that for many of us, unfortunately, we're investing in things that don't last. We're investing in things that don't really matter for very long at all. And when you look at the words and the teachings of Jesus, he illustrates a concept in various ways through different stories. And he tells us in a nutshell not to invest in things that, that don't last, but instead to pour, to pour our treasures into things that will impact eternity. And Jesus, in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, said this in Matthew 6, 19. And it'll be a scripture you're very familiar with. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, don't store up. Don't hoard things that you have. Don't invest everything that you have in places and in things that don't last and don't matter. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth. You see, during our time here on this planet, Our God has created us to pour, not store. Our God has created us to pour out, to be a blessing to others, instead of storing up just for ourselves. And Jesus said it another way in the only direct quote not found in any of the four gospels, but in Acts 20, he said that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. In other words, we're created to pour, not store. You know, when my daughter Shannon was little, she was a real gift giver. There were countless times when I saw her excitedly ride her tricycle to the letterbox and put something in it. And I would go daily and open it up and there was always a sweet drawing or a love note and always attached to this little note was her favorite thing at the moment, a heart-shaped rock that she found on a walk a beautiful seashell that she found at the Mount, a bracelet she made, or a trinket she bought with her own pocket money. And when I would try to give it back to her, because I knew how much she loved it, she would always say, oh, no, mommy, you keep it. I want you to have it. I love you too much. It was the sweetest thing. You see, my then four-year-old got it, (laughs) that it was more blessed to give than it is to receive that we were created to pour, not store. And this theme of pouring forth, this lifestyle of blessing and investing in others, that we are blessed to be a blessing, that, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, is what God had in mind from the very beginning. We see it right throughout Scripture. And in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible tells the story of God choosing to set his affection on a group of people the Israelites, whom he snatched out of slavery in Egypt and formed into a mighty nation. And God gives, us, gives them the law. He gives a lot of these people and taught them how to live as a community. And he intended them to live by this law and to be a shining beacon of light, displaying his glory for the world to see. And part of God's plan all along was not simply just to rescue the Israelites out of bondage, but also to bless them. They were an agrarian society, as so God promised to give them bread and wine and flocks and herds and a land flowing with milk and honey. God's like, I'm going to hook you up with my blessing. It's going to be awesome. But God's blessing came with these commands. He says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner living among you. I am the Lord your God. And that's in Leviticus. See, God tells them during the harvest not to glean to the edges, but to leave some for those in need, for those who have hit hard times. Maybe their crop didn't do very well that year or maybe they had a family member die, or maybe they got sick. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, leave something for them. And when God blessed his people with prosperity, he made it clear that their good fortunes was not just for them, that they were to leave their excess grain and fruit for others in the community who needed it, for those who were sick, poor, or in need in some way. And God reiterates this in Deuteronomy 14 and Deuteronomy 26. God says, hey, there are times when you will celebrate a sacrifice before me. And back then when you made a sacrifice, you would take an animal and you would slay it. And you would um, slay it and sacrifice it before the Lord. But you wouldn't burn the whole animal. Oftentimes you just burn parts of it. And with the rest of it and an offering to the Lord, you would burn and cook the rest. And then you would sit around with your family and you would eat it. You ate a meal together as you communed with God. It was like a holy barbecue for 20. It was. You see what I did there, Craig? Yep. Like, yeah. Now, this holy barbecue wasn't just meant for your family. God says, make sure a priest is there. A Levite priest We're totally dependent on the generosity of others. Make sure that a stranger is there. Make sure a widow is there. Make sure an orphan is there. Make sure it's not just about you and your family and your little group. Invite people who are without to join you with what you have. And in 2 Chronicles 31, God said, And every third year, take 10% of what you earn, but don't take it to the capital, to Jerusalem. Instead, you walk into your town, take your 10%, pile it up, where we will distribute it to the poor and the needy, so that the whole town would be blessed by the bounty God has given you. That was God's heart from the get-go. God wanted to build a society that when he blessed you, you understood that it wasn't just for you, that we were created by God to pour, not store. And if the Israelites ever thought back to the days when they were in bondage, when they were slaves, they would remember, oh yeah, we had nothing. And God blessed us with bread and flocks and land and so forth. And as God's people, they were to use his generosity towards them to bless others. They were God's people and they were to look just like him. They were to reflect God's heart of generosity. But people being people, (laughs) it doesn't take long in scripture For God's people, as soon as they had a good year and were prosperous, for them to say, hey, these are my crops. This is my house. This is my money. The Israelites failed to model God's character of generosity. And later in their history, they grew prosperous and greedy, and it became common for rich landowners to exploit their hired workers. And as a result, by the time you get to the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs, being rich was occasionally synonymous with being unrighteous or wicked. See, God was unhappy, not with the fact that his people were blessed with riches, no, but because they chose to hoard their wealth and take advantage of those who had less. And like we heard this morning, the prophets like Amos are really upset about it because people are failing to reflect God's heart. You see, God isn't anti-money, and I hope you hear that tonight. God isn't anti-money. God is pro-people, and God isn't anti-savings either. In the book of Proverbs, it says, be wise like the ant, oh, you sluggard, and and store up provisions in summer so you can eat it in winter. But there is a difference between planning ahead and saving and storing up and hoarding wealth. God isn't anti-money. He's pro-people. God blesses us to be a blessing to others. God created us to pour, not store. And during my research and study for this, I came across an article about what are the most charitable states? What are the most giving states in the USA? And based on their wealth per capita, the richest states, the richest states were the least generous. I found that fascinating. It was the poor ranked states that gave the most and they ranked the highest in volunteer hours. That was amazing. I mean, isn't that crazy? The states, the states who have more and more want to share less and less. It's mine. I mean, what's that about? And I wonder if it's because of having this, a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset in its simplest terms is the belief that there will never be enough whether it's money, food, emotions, or something else entirely. And as a result, um, our actions and thoughts stem from a place of lack that there will never be enough. And I like how Craig Rochelle describes this. Remember, these are his words, not mine, so don't get mad at me. But he said that a scarcity mindset believes that we really do want to give our time, our money, our possessions, but we feel like we're not in a place to give just right now. We'd like to give more, but we feel like we need more before we're comfortable with actually giving more. And those with a scarcity mindset tend to believe that there's only one pie, and if someone gets a piece, then there's not very much to go around, rather than believing you can actually make more pies. We tend to think there's not much. We've got to guard ours. We've got to protect what we have. We'd like to give more, but we can't because we don't have enough. So we live with this when-then attitude. When I get more time, money, resources, then, then I'll give more. The problem is we never have enough when we live with the scarcity mindset because we're consumed with fear. We're afraid, so we believe we need more, and so we store up and we keep to ourselves, and then we find that we never, ever have enough. I mean, aren't we seeing aspects of this mindset being played out across the globe before our very eyes at the moment? Fear makes you do crazy things, especially if you want to buy some toilet paper and some hand sanitizer at the grocery store. It's like, you can't because the shelves are empty. What the heck? People are stock buying for fear of not having enough. And some rat bags are going on Trade Me and selling it for exorbitant prices, it's crazy. I don't know if you can relate to any of that, but I was so convicted about this. I think having a scarcity mindset blinds us to how much we actually do have, how blessed we really are. And this became glaringly obvious when I started to pay attention to the things I complain about, my first world problems, and how utterly ridiculous I sound like during the water ban, during the drought we experienced and are still experiencing. Can you believe that the council put limits on the amount of clean drinking water I was allowed to spew on my new garden that I paid heaps for? You mean I can only pour out gallons and gallons of clean drinking water on my garden once a week? What? And by hand? I feel like God nudged me and said, man, are you hearing yourself right now? Like, snap out of it. I forget that there are people who will never see that kind of clean drinking water in their lifetime. That there are people who carry dirty river water on their head for miles for their families to drink. And I'm complaining about not being able to water my garden once a week. Church, if you woke up this morning in a bed and a house and have more than one pair of clothes to wear and had something to eat, and you had clean water to drink, you know that you're considered rich to most of the world. I know you may not think that, but it's true. I know we have issues in this country, but we are so incredibly blessed to live in New Zealand. We really are. To reiterate how blessed we are, check out this website that I found. I found this website called the Global Rich List. And it's based on how wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world. Oh, my goodness. Now, the top line that you're going to see are the really wealthy. And they're considered really rich. And the people below are those um, less um, rich than you. And so I talked to Bernie, and we did a screen recording. And I got Bernie to type in here. I got him to type in $50,000 to see where you are. If you earn $50,000, you're in top 1%. And then I got him to type in, let's go down to $30,000. let us see where we are on the list. So he did that. So where is that? Someone who makes 30,000 annually. That's where you are. You're in the top 4.1, 12%. And then we went down to, let's do 20,000. Let's have a look where you are on the scale. You're still in the top line. 12.2% of the richest people in the world. And then I said, go down to 10. Take it down to 10. Let's see. You make $10,000 a year. Where are you on this? You're still in the 20% top of the richest people in the world. And then I said, take it down to three, $3,000 a year. Where does that put you? Still 40%. Does that surprise you? That's in New Zealand, you type in what country you live in compared to the other billions of people in the world. I don't know, I found that absolutely fascinating. And I fully get that it's impossible in our country for a family to survive on like 30,000, less than $30,000 a year, or even 30,000 is a real stretch, I get that. And I'm not showing this to guilt anybody, but rather that God would grab hold of our hearts, would grab hold of my heart and fan into flame an attitude of gratitude and a posture of generosity that brings glory to his name. Amen. You know, in the gospels, it's frightening how much Jesus talked about wealth, money, riches, and possessions. He talked about it a lot. And there's this one story Jesus tells in Luke 12 that sums up the scarcity mindset, I think, perfectly. Jesus is preaching to the crowds when Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge and an arbitrator between you? He's like, you guys sort it out. And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, self, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Man, I would love to hear how Jesus told this story. I really would. I would love to hear that. You know, at first glance, this sounds like a sweet gig and a great plan. Build a bigger barn and store all your excess stuff in it. Or build a bigger house to fill in, to fit in all my possessions. When... Peter and I were on holiday in the Marble Sounds in the South Island some years ago when we were first married. Um, We stayed at a family friend's um, holiday home right on the water, man, it was so beautiful. But there was another house right next to it. And I said to my husband, I said, oh, who lives there? And he goes, no one. And I go, oh, really, no one? he goes, no, it's to store all their stuff. (laughs) That's why they had to build this house. They couldn't fit in all their things. And look, I'm not judging anybody there. My husband hoards hunting gear. It's our garages overflowing with it, and I hoard jeans, so I'm not judging anybody. So I need help either way. But I recently read an article on um, how the building and renting of self-storage units have exploded in the States. In 2018, over five billion dollars was invested in the self-storage industry. We have to rent storage units to store all our excess stuff. It's amazing. Like I said at first glance, the building of Binger Barns sounds like a great solution to this rich farmer's problem of what to do with his surplus grain. He is so secure in his future, in his long life, that he's going to um, kick back and enjoy his wealth. It sounds like a wise plan. If All there was to this life was this life. If there was no eternal ramification, let's see what Jesus has to say about this guy's financial plan. He says this, But God, but God (laughs) said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Notice that God inserts himself into the rich farmer's financial plan. And he says, you fool. And God doesn't call this farmer a fool for being rich. God calls him a fool because this guy doesn't know how to be rich. The God kind of rich. He's a fool because he forgot about but God. He is a fool because he thought his wealth was only for himself and this life. And I don't think this man deliberately set out to become greedy or self-absorbed, and I don't think he purposely intended in his heart to defy God or close all compassion for the poor. I think he just devoted and invested his life in storing up treasures here on earth. And sooner or later, our souls, all of us, will return back to their maker. And the things that you have stored up here on earth, like Jesus said, who then will they be? Whose then will they be? This was the realization that tormented Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them for the one who comes after me. One commentary put it this way, talking about that verse, the executive who works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day will be both very successful and fondly remembered by his wife's next husband. (laughs) I love that. I know. You know, when Jesus told the story, he summed up the lesson in a single sentence to make sure no one missed the point. So it is for everyone who accumulates riches for themselves but is not rich towards God. You see, the object of life, according to Jesus, is breathtakingly simple, church. And it's this, be rich towards God. John Orberg, in his book, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box, put it this way. He said, being rich towards God means growing a soul that is increasingly healthy and good being rich towards god means loving and enjoying the people around you being rich towards god means learning about your gifts and your passions and doing good work to help improve the world being rich towards god means becoming generous with your stuff being rich towards god means making that which is temporary become the servant of that which is eternal Being rich towards God means savoring every encounter and opportunity to pour and invest in someone else. And Jesus expressed it in two great commandments, each built around a single word, and it's love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is commentary. No one can do this and be poor in God's eyes and no one can fail to do this and be rich in God's eyes. I wasn't gonna share this. During my, um, my little sister's funeral she passed away on Christmas Eve of this year. One of the amazing things that I loved sitting at her funeral was hearing what her kids said about her. It was amazing. My sister became a stepmom at 24. And Steve is a great guy, but he was a young dad and he already had three kids. And they had two more, Jacob and Johnny. But what I loved, what I loved, was each of her stepkids spoke about my sister Christina and they said she never made us feel any different. She loved us the same and one after the other said that and they're growing up with their own families now and I love that because her whole life was about pouring, not storing, she gave it away and she poured into these kids' lives and I absolutely love that. I love that. Bless me so much. Here's the thing, church. Jesus could have ended the parable there, but he doesn't. He's not done. He wants to go deeper. He just got done saying, so it is for everyone who accumulates riches for themselves, but are not rich towards God. And it says in the next verse that he turns to his disciples and he says this. I could have the band come up. That would be great. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat and what you will drink or what you will wear, do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issue, which is worry. You worry because you don't trust God can take care of you. So you close your hand to being generous because you're looking for money to take care of you instead of your father in heaven who loves you and longs to bless you. And notice that Jesus doesn't wag his finger to shame and tell you off. What does he say? Do not be afraid little flock. (laughs) Don't be afraid little sheep. The father is pleased to give you the kingdom. You see, this parable really isn't about money. God isn't after your money. (laughs) God wants your heart. Being rich towards God begins with giving to God what he desires most of all. And what he desires most is you. He desires you. Your heart, your devotion. And Just as God can give us many gifts, the best gift of all that he gives is himself. Is himself. God so loved the world that he gave, which was most precious to him, his son. And his son gave his life to us. Yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. Then you have the spirit of God to complete the Trinity who expresses generosity, the generosity of the father and the son through his people, which is us. So we can offer back to God our time, our money, our possessions, But the gift he desires most is us. And the more we trust him, the more we will align ourselves with his purposes. And the goal tonight isn't for you out of guilt to go out and give a bunch of money away. No, the goal is to love God more. And the more you love him, the more you will trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you will love and invest in his people. We were created by God to pour, not store, to pour by investing in God's work through his church. And I have to ask you, church, are you in? (laughs) Are you in? You know, one of the best things about this church is how generous it is. And our senior pastors lead the way in this. They really do. I've known them for a long time. They take the charge in this. And as long as I've known them, and I'm emotional because it's so sweet. They have always, always, even when it's been hard, even when it's been hard on their family, for all the years that I've known them, they've always opened up their home to others, always. They're so generous with sharing what they have, and they definitely pour out and not store. They've been incredibly generous with sharing their leadership and invested not only in my life personally, but in my families, and I honor you for that. And one of the incredible benefits of being planted in the same church forever (laughs) and being on staff is that you get a behind-the-scenes look at the different ministries that pour out into our community, locally and globally. Check this out. And this is just a few, just a, a, a few. I'm not even scratching the surface. These are just a few of the ministries we're invested in. And if you were here this morning, Craig even spoke about some more exciting initiatives that we're partnering with and investing in. Like the breakfast program at the Farikura Secondary School next door to us. Students in our neighborhood are showing up to school hungry, so we get to feed them. Or the Herora Health Clinic in our neighborhood that offers respite care to those who are recovering from surgeries. It's an amazing health clinic. Listen, loved ones, church, family. When you invest your time, money, resources in programs like Kaimunga, our food bank, you wouldn't believe the amount of food hampers that we give out to our local community in a week. Or donating your excess excess clothing to our Tallulah Recycling Clothing Shop, where the money raised funds people like our amazing, our amazing Brian Kirby in the 24-7 program that journeys along teens who are at risk in our local high schools. Or buying a Christmas present for a child without a mom or a dad because their parents are in prison in our angel tree ministry. Or serving a cup of tea in the cafe because you never know, someone who has never set foot in a church before, when you pour out like that, I guarantee, I guarantee that you will experience the wonder and the joy of what it truly means that it is blessed to give than it is received. We have received so much, church. Generosity is the currency of heaven. My prayer is that you and I will invest our lives to it. Amen? Amen. I hope you're invested, and I hope you're in. We pray for us. Why don't you stand as we worship God? We want to reflect your heart, God. You are a God who gives. You are for people and pro-people. So I God, I just pray um, that right now, those under the sound of my voice, that God, that you're stirring something in them. And I don't know what that is, God, but I pray that as we worship, they would respond to that in their hearts with you. Our whole lives, we can never thank you enough for all that you've done for us. And if you never did another thing for us, what you've done is enough, is enough. You're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship our